My name's Catherine Carr, and this is season two of Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. Catherine, hello. All the things that a child might want, I got because I was the only one. This week, we're talking to the broadcaster, Dame Jenny Murray. And after the door has shut, we can continue. My name is Jenny Murray, and I am an only child. It turns out being an only child is not straightforward either. I had to be the boy, and I also had to be the girl. And has meant, for Jenny at least, that she finds certain things very hard to do. He is so used to sharing, having to share, because there were so many of them, um, and not always getting his own way. I, I, I just... I just don't know how to do it. Jenny Murray grew up in Yorkshire and joined the BBC in 1973, going on to present Newsnight, the Today programme, and from 1987 to 2020, Women's Hour on Radio 4. We talk about ambition, parental expectations, feminism, and why she was determined to give her firstborn a sibling. But we started in Barnsley, where Jennifer Susan Bailey was born. When I was a baby... We lived with my grandparents. We lived there until I was three. And then just behind us, where there'd been lovely fields just outside Barnsley, it was a very countryfied area, they built a huge council estate, which really ruined my grandmother's view. Um, But... It meant my parents could get their own house. I played in the street a lot. My next-door neighbour was called John Lewis, not that one, unfortunately, because we always said we would marry each other. That would have been good if he'd been the other John Lewis. And there was a farm close by and there were duck ponds and we used to roller skate and it was a very relaxed and easy childhood in terms of making friends and my mother was at home all the time my dad worked in an electrical repair shop for quite a long time and then he trained as an engineer my mother was quite pushy and that made sure that he bucked his ideas up and became an electrical engineer and he then got a job where he traveled a lot and my mother was my devoted and rather strict mother. Those are three very interesting words you've used about your mum, devoted, strict and pushy. I'm going to come back to that. But before you moved into your own council house, so from the ages, well, from birth until three, I'm imagining four doting adults and one Jenny. That's exactly how it was. My grandmother worshipped me, (laughs) there's no doubt about it, had a photograph of me as a baby on her sideboard and kissed it just about every time she went by. My grandfather was a winder in one of the nearby pits and worked shifts. So, you know, he was around a lot of the time as well. He would get up in the morning and light the fire in the kitchen and that would heat the oven and he would cook breakfast on the open fire. Some of the best breakfasts I've ever had in my life. Bacon, egg, fried bread. 
and amazing. And my grandmother's food cooked in this oven, you know, heated by the fire. She made the most amazing Yorkshire puddings, which, which used to rise up. Um, just lovely, lovely people, really warm people. So obviously you're a lot older now and you've lived a long life and you understand how life works quite a lot more than you did when you were little eating those delicious cooked breakfast by your grandfather. At what what age and stage do you think you were when you started to sort of realise there was just you? And although you had these friends, John Lewis and your roller skating gang, that that might not be uh, the same as other families. When did you have a sort of realisation that you were by yourself? I think the first time it really, really struck me, I was about six and I was still at convent school. My parents really wanted me to be able to go to school when I was young because I was desperate to go to school. I think you know that was part of being aware that I was on my own. I thought going to school would be really great because there'd be lots of other children around all the time. Um, my mother, this devoted, pushy woman, you know, had all all her attention was on me. And I was a very good reader by the time I was two. Wow. Um, so I, I know. I was I read at three. I thought I peaked early, but that's really early. But that that was just constant attention, you know, and always saying, okay, I'll read it. Now you read it. And I can clearly remember bedtimes always being about reading, 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 reading. <laughs> but I remember getting into terrible trouble with my mother because <laughs> she went to a beetle night. You know, everybody used to play the beetle game. Oh, a beetle drive and, with, the, with the drawings and the dice. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and um, one of the sisters said to her, oh, we didn't expect to see you tonight. And she said, why Why not? Well, we, we thought you were in hospital. Oh, really? Why? Um, be, because you've had a little boy. And uh, my mother said, what? No, no, I haven't. I've only got Jennifer. And I had told one of the dinner ladies, apparently, that my mother had had a little boy and his name was David Robert. Oh, God. <laughs> My mother was absolutely furious with me. She said, what are you doing telling lies like that? That's ridiculous. And I, I said, well, I really wanted to have a little brother. Now, this must have come about partly because so many of my friends had brothers and sisters, um, but also because my mother had told me from as long ago as I can remember, she had, throughout her pregnancy, assumed she would have a son, and that was what she really wanted. Oh, God. And, she and disappointed I... in you. <laughs> of course she was disappointed in me. <laughs> she said, and I called him David Robert all the time I was pregnant, and I was really surprised when you came out and they said, oh, it's a little girl. He said, but Daddy didn't mind. Daddy was quite happy. He said, no, I'm, I'm quite happy, whatever we've got, as long as it's, it's healthy and, and fine. And my mother said, well, you'd better decide what we're going to call her then. And so Daddy said, oh, Jennifer Susan. I'm thinking this would be back in the, what, 1950s? It was 1950. 
you know, one of the first babies to be born on the NHS in the local maternity hospital, uh, which was a huge, grim-looking building, which had been a workhouse. So I'm imagining in the 50s there wasn't much sort of softly, softly child psychology for you bearing the weight of this sort of expectation of being a boy and not being a boy or much understanding that you desperately wanted a sibling and that's why you told people you just got in trouble (laughs) I just got in trouble and my mother had had a really really tough you know when you think back to the way birth took place in those early years you know taken into the hospital no one allowed to be with her my father apparently after I was born, had to queue up with all the other dads at the bottom of the stairs until the matron came and stood at the top of the stairs and said, right, up you come, you have an hour. (laughs) (laughs) That was the father's involvement in visiting hours. But, you know, she was taken in, she was on her back, she was shaved, she was given an enema and pretty much left alone. And she was in labour for... 24 hours and uh, really said that she thought that she was going to die and I was going to die and she was terribly badly torn and you know had to have an operation and the worst thing that happened was they somehow left a swab inside her so she came home and felt really dreadful and eventually was taken back into hospital and they found it and, and removed it But then, you know, she and I were separated just as we'd started to establish a feeding pattern and and all of that. So I think that that made life quite difficult for us for quite a long time. And she vowed she would never have another child. She would not go through that again. And she took great care not to have another. Which meant that all of that energy that she had, all of that pushiness and all of that devotion was just funneled into you. I wonder how... That felt that must have been glorious at some points and at other points almost unbearable. The problem with it was if I'd had a brother, I very much doubt I would have gone to the high school, would have been sent for elocution lessons, you know, all the things that a child might want, I got because I was the only one. And she had great ambitions for me that she was determined I would go to university but at the same time she knew I was a girl and so I had to learn to cook and bake and I hated it Mm. I hated all the domestic stuff Um, and that was what really went on throughout my life I had to be the boy and I also had to be the girl so you know as I grew up well when are you going to get married? When are you going to have children? Oh, yes, I read about you in the paper. Yes, you are doing well, aren't you? You know, everything was expected of me. If only I'd had a brother and he could have taken some of the weight off me. I mean, it's funny, in on this podcast, one of the questions I always ask when I have a pair of siblings is, okay, so what was your role in the family? Because often people are especially when there's only two siblings and you define the siblings in relation to each other you know the golden child and the whatever and the clever one and the clumsy one and the this one and the that one your label 
is annoying and trapping, but it's also freeing because if you're the clever one, then you don't have to be the creative one. <laughs> or if if you're the messy one, you don't have to be the neat one. But I wonder if you're an only child, if how that sort of works, how you get labelled, or whether you just are, as you say, supposed to fulfil all of the roles? You're, you're supposed to do all of it. I, I mean, I suspect if you're a boy, it's not so complicated mm. because when you have a mother like mine she wants her daughter to be a great success she wants her to be a professional she really wanted me to be a teacher but I also had to be the feminine one the number of times my mother used to say to me oh for goodness sake Jen keep your knees together don't sit like that because I always sat as I'm sitting now. Comfortably. <laughs> no boys sit like that. Girls have to sit nicely with their knees together. That was really hard because I used to climb trees with John. You know, I remember fishing him out of the duck pond, actually, <laughs> uh, and bringing him home. I was everything. And the feminine side of it was not my favourite side by any manner of means. I think my feminism must have developed really quite early. The the first time I remember the ping going off in my head, I didn't even really know the, the word feminist in the mid-60s. It hadn't really gained traction. But I remember my father was working in Poland at the time and my mother was so bored. Oh, my goodness, she was bored. I was 15, maybe 16. I would come home and she'd come on, you know, let's get the tea together. Let's do this together. Let's go shopping together. I've always hated shopping, still do. (laughs) And I said, Mum, why don't you get a job? And she looked at me with absolute horror and said, what? Get a job? No, no. People are going to think Daddy can't afford to keep us. (gasps) And I said, keep us. Mom, come on, earn your own money. But the idea of earning her own money and feeling proud that she could go out and buy anything with her own money, she didn't have to depend on him, just astonished me. And eventually she did get a job. Now, my mother was probably the nosiest person I've ever known apart from myself I think that's what made me a good journalist I was so nosy and curious about people snap and uh, she got this job in the town hall she knew everybody's business you know it was a small town she knew everybody and what they were up to and she loved it and it completely transformed Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
let's just rewind a little bit. Back when you were six and you told the terrible fib about this pretend little brother that hadn't arrived and you were playing out in the street, did you go into other people's houses? Did you hang out with friends who had brothers and sisters? And did you compare what that family life was like with yours? I'm thinking in terms of sharing bedrooms or fighting. Did you become aware of that sort of those sorts of dynamics? John, I always remember his mother getting pregnant and him being terribly excited. I guess I'd be about four. After the baby was born, going round there and she was breastfeeding his little sister. And she was very comical, his mother. Mm-hmm. And she actually took the baby off her breast and squirted milk across the room <laughs> at us. And and I thought, good grief, you know, a mother who behaves like that, that's absolutely extraordinary. You're not supposed to show your breasts, <laughs> my mum says, you know. And then I, then I just observed him really ignoring his little sister for as many years as we lived next door to each other. It was almost as if she didn't exist because she was little and she wasn't interesting and she didn't like doing all the tough things that we like to do, like going off walking in the woods and climbing trees. And and she didn't swear either, whereas John's father had two businesses. One was an ice cream factory, which was very nice for all of us, and a brick-making company. There were lots of lorry drivers who used to take the bricks around to wherever they had to go. They loved to take John with them and teach him how to swear. (laughs) They give him 5p for swearing. His language was absolutely appalling. It really was. He came to my fifth birthday party. Um, I always remember my mother saying to him, now, John, you're not eating. What would you like? What what kind of sandwich would you like? There's egg and there's potted meat, the whole list of things. And he looked at my mother and he said, Mrs. Bailey, do you know what I'd really like? And she said, no, what? He said, I'd really like a shit sandwich. <laughs> And my mother sent him home. I thought it was hilarious. But all these very posh kids from the Catholic school did not approve. So apart from John and his, you know, ignored and a bit maybe sissy little sister at that age, through life, you know, the role of your siblings changes through life. It can be someone who annoys you at home and doesn't play or is your confidant and does play or you get into mischief with. But as you move into adulthood, they can become friends and they can become keepers of history and they can become somebody that you share the burdens of the sort of wider family life with so as you've got older what is it you think if you do think you've missed things what is it you think you've missed by not having siblings in those later stages I find my husband's family very interesting he's the youngest boy of five and then when he was six the longed for girl arrived and when their parents died then you saw there was something uniting a group 
of people, grief was, was shared, which I didn't have. And also, my mother was very ill for her last 10 years. She had Parkinson's disease. Mm. And I was the only one who had responsibility for it. I mean, David, my husband, was amazing and really did whatever he could to help me. And the boys, I mean, my boys were were getting into late teenage and they too did whatever they could to help. But that's not the same as having a brother or a sister with whom you you share your memories of what they were like when they were younger Mm. and the sort of lives you lived. That I think I missed, although, you know, I have a lot of friends um, who've gone through exactly the same sort of thing that I have, but had a brother or a sister, and the brother did nothing. <laughs> yeah. I'd say, why do you have to keep going up to Nottingham to to look after your mum? Your, your brother lives just around the corner. She said, oh, yeah, don't expect him to lift a finger. Um, he never does anything. You know, gender aside, there's always one sibling who who ends up probably assuming the responsibility for the care and others can chip in I mean that's a bit of a generalization but in what I've observed one tends to take on the lion's share of it anyway yeah it's just I've I've heard it from several of my female friends who've been furious at their brothers who've done virtually nothing Mm. maybe there are other other families where the boys have pitched in but I know a good number of women who also face the responsibility alone. And so before we get on to talk about your own boys, you've got two, I wonder about the sort of tropes or stereotypes that exist about only children that they can't share and um, they don't take teasing very well. They're not very robust. I wonder what you think about those stereotypes and whether you think any of them apply to you. All of them. It's... (laughs) completely true I mean there are times when my husband will say to my son oh god you know sometimes your mother just drives me crazy because I've said something like okay um we'll have a takeaway um and uh, Edward you can go and collect it you can you can take my uh, my card I'll give you the number for it and and Dave goes who's decided we're going to have a takeaway and I say, well, you know, for goodness sake, somebody's got to get something started, haven't they? And it really, really annoys him because he is so used to sharing, having to share, because there were so many of them, and not always getting his own way. And I I, I just I just don't know how to do it. And I think I've also lived on my own an awful lot, which I've been completely happy to do. For all those years when we had the house up in the Peak District and I would travel up and down for woman's hour every week and live in a grotty basement flat in Camden Town, which I called Wuthering Depths, and I was perfectly happy to be on my own most of the time. You know, I really miss the kids, I miss David, but being on my own is something I am completely content with I can always amuse myself and I'm ambitious I think in rather well I was I'm I don't think I'm quite as ambitious as I used to be now I'm 
71. But that sort of ambition that, you know, to work was absolutely essential for me. It was who I was and everybody else had to fit around it, which happily they did. What about the idea then of, I mean, you said you were one of the first NHS babies. You were born in a big hospital that used to be a Victorian workhouse. There is a sort of slightly Victorian idea attached to the only child, which is that you can be spoiled. You can literally spoil a child with too much what? Too much attention, too much love, maybe too much material things. But I'm guessing in your case in early years, too many material things weren't coming your way. You were living with your grandparents before you moved into a council house. What do you think about the idea of actually spoiling a child because they're on their own? I think the only spoiling that happens is this idea that you are absolutely central to the people you live with. And whilst they won't let you be naughty, um, they will get cross if they hear you swearing. And, you know, there are certain rules that you have to abide by. But that basically they just want you to be happy and they want you to do the good things that you're really interested in. If I'd hated going for elocution lessons, which I didn't, I loved it. It was more speech and drama than than elocution. Uh, but if I'd hated it, my mother would, would not have forced me to do it. I had a lot of autonomy. Mm. And in a way, that does benefit you in the way that, you know, you know things you want to do and you really go for it. But at the same time, it makes it, very difficult to live with other people who are not going to be indulgent all the time. Mm. That's spoiling, I think. You went on to have two children. We've already said two boys. Was it important that you gave your firstborn a sibling? Yes, it was. Uh, I didn't want my child to be an only child because I knew what the pitfalls would be. I wanted him to have someone to play with. Of course, I didn't realise how much jealousy is created by a second child coming <laughs> in. They were terribly jealous of each other and they fought a lot. They're now absolutely the best of friends, except when they're in my company. And when they're in my company, they behave really quite badly, um, just craving my attention all the time. They really do Regress. want more from me <laughs> uh, than, than I can always give. But I remember when Edward, who's four years older, went to university. He was in London studying to be a vet. And there'd be a big party at the weekend. And he'd say, oh, you know, put Charlie on the train in Macclesfield and I'll, I'll meet him at Euston. Because, you know, he's such a laugh, he'll be the life and soul of the party. And that, I think, is unusual and something really quite special. And they're still very close like that. And I'm really happy that I had them both. And, oh, when, uh, you know, when I had Edward, the, the first one, and my mother said, 
she, oh, can I come down and see the baby? And I said, look, can you, can you just give us 24 hours at home yeah. uh, just to sort of get sorted? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, fine. So I got home from the hospital, went to lie down. David was lying next to me, Edward in between us, and I heard the back door open. <laughs> and bang, 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 up the stairs, bedroom door flung open. My mother walked around my side of the bed, clutched this baby held him up and said, oh, at last, my boy. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I said, um, actually, Mother, he's my boy, not yours. <laughs> yeah, but, but so many of these things stick in my mind, you know. Um, I'm not surprised with that one, Jenny, that that stuck in your mind, to be honest. <laughs> it, it did. And then, of course, I went and did it again and got another boy. <laughs> when I interviewed brothers and sisters or sisters and sisters or brothers and brothers I always ask them what one thing um, their sibling can do to wind them up in an instant what button they could press now given that you didn't have a sibling but I'm assuming people can still wind you up what could people in your family do to wind you up uh, in an instant or make you cross how can you be teased best or don't you bear teasing there are things that I wish I had never told my husband <laughs> The one thing he can do that really drives me mad is to say, oh, you're off for pennies for Jennifer again, are you? And I just, uh, just saying it myself makes my stomach knot because my dad always used to say, you know, I have to go to work to earn pennies for Jennifer. And I, I told David this years and years and years ago and now David only has to if I say oh I've got a job I, I need to go up to London and say oh well pennies for Jennifer <laughs> <laughs> I can see why that would drive you wild <laughs> <laughs> and finally what sort of music would if there is any if it was a musical household would take you back to maybe the open fires and the cooked breakfasts and your grandfather coming off shift or your mum and dad being around or maybe the house after that when you were little? Strauss Walters, because my father loved Strauss Walters, played them all the time, and we would dance together with my feet on his feet, and he was a terrible dancer. He had no rhythm at all, and he would go, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, three, one, two, three, with me dancing on his feet. I don't listen to them myself, no. I have occasionally, but that that's the music that makes my heart go pit-a-pat. Thank you to Jenny and thank you too for listening. Thank you too to Tanita Tickerham who let us use this amazing song. Sound design is by Nick Carter at Mix Sonics and digital production by Charlotte Griffiths. My mother went mad when I went to university and everybody called me Jenny because she said it sounded like a cow. 
And I said, what? How, how can Jenny possibly sound like a cow? She had an aunt and she had a farm in Pickering in North Yorkshire. And one of their cows was called Jenny. <laughs> Next week, the Eagle Sisters, Labour MPs Angela and Maria, who talk about chess, self-belief, sexuality and politics. of love and hate Stand by the fireside Now the rain may fall Your father's calling you You still feel safe inside Although your ma's too proud Your brother's ignoring you You still feel safe inside Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.